When Katie Hobbs won the governor's race last fall, she became the first Democrat in 14 years to hold the seat. It also made her the first governor in 14 years to have to deal with a legislature controlled by the opposite party. As Governor Hobbs marks her 100th day in office, she's reflecting on her achievements. Yeah, I mean, I think my team hit the ground running, taking critical action right away on issues that I talked about on the campaign trail, the issues I heard from Arizonans that they wanted um, our government to tackle, and the issues that we have to tackle that keep moving forward as a state and continue the economic trajectory that we're on. But her successes have also been marked with pushback. As of right now, the governor has vetoed 38 bills passed by the GOP-led legislature. And by the time you hear this, there'll probably be more. Hobbs is in familiar company, though. Nearly two decades ago, when Democrat Janet Napolitano arrived on the ninth floor, she was met with similar opposition. When Napolitano won her race in 2002, it had been a dozen years since a Democrat had gained the Arizona governor's office. She tangled with a Republican legislature that wasn't willing to embrace her agenda, leading to what has become a record-setting number of vetoes from an Arizona governor. That's 58, and a record that Hobbs seems intent on shattering. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast from the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics for the Republic. And I'm Stacey Barchenger. I also cover state politics and more specifically, the governor's office. I'm stepping in this week for Ron Hansen. Today, we talk with Dennis Burke, who served as Napolitano's co-chief of staff to examine the challenges of presiding over divided government and how to navigate it. Dennis, welcome to The Gaggle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So it's been a while, but are you having any deja vu as the Hobbs administration is settling in? Yes, actually, a lot. A lot of similarities as to um, Governor Napolitano's uh, first half year of her tenure and now Governor Hobbs's divided government. Um, actually, I think two governors that share very similar strengths and character. And so when I pick up the news from you all or follow something that's going on with the current administration. It does bring back a lot of the memories. So Governor Napolitano came into office and realizing she was going to have to battle with the legislature of the other part, led by the other party, and she made a decision very early on, I'm going to show leadership. I'm going to come out with a slew of executive orders on a, a number of areas that are policy positions of, of hers. And one in particular at the time was prescription drugs. And there was actually legislation in the uh, legislature for the few sessions before Napolitano became governor that were blocked by Eddie Farnsworth because he claimed that they, you know, they couldn't be given these senior discounts on prescriptions. And that was perfect for Napolitano because she came in and said, no one even understands why you're blocking this. All I know is there are hundreds of thousands of seniors in Arizona who are not getting discounts on prescription drugs. And we went in and found out that in the access program, you could create a prescription drug discount program for seniors without legislation. Literally, they would, the authority existed in law. And this was back to the, the mastery of Napolitano was, I don't need to sit around and wait for a bill to pass. There's a lot of current law. Go find out if I can do this already. And so we went and found out and said, you literally can create a prescription drug discount program for seniors by executive order. 
And so she came out with it. And it was, not surprisingly, incredibly popular. And the legislature immediately said, this is unconstitutional. We need to stop this. And Napolitano thought, thank you, <laughs> from a political perspective. Like, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> stop a prescription drug discount program for seniors in Arizona uh, that I went and figured out on my own that I could do on my own. And so that was drove a lot of her executive orders and why she thought they were effective. She was taking current law. She was providing direction to an agency and said, I'm going to implement a program. I don't even need you, legislature. And they were still trying to block it. They didn't want her to do that. Did that lawsuit ever happen? No. There is a parallel there with the governor's Hobbs, one of her, her first executive order on um, uh, an anti-discrimination executive order. And the Freedom Caucus has vowed to sue. We're 100 days in, no lawsuit. If I were on Governor Hobbs' staff, I would say, please file. I mean, go ahead. If you think that's the right side to be on this, go ahead. You're just making my case more, and you're keeping this issue alive. You know, one thing that Governor Hobbs is dealing with right now is balancing her goals with having a Republican-led legislature. Can you tell us how the Napolitano administration advanced the governor's agenda while dealing with the GOP majorities and the pushback? Were y'all able to find allies in the Republican ranks? We did, and I'm not sure Governor Hobbs has the same situation as Governor Napolitano did in the Arizona Senate. When Governor Napolitano was working through her most important budgets, she actually had some moderate Republicans that were more than willing to buck the leadership of their party and help negotiate a bill by holding out their votes. It doesn't appear that Governor Hobbs has <laughs> any of that benefit that Governor Napolitano had, but Governor Napolitano was actually very masterful at getting the strengths of moderate Republicans who would help her get a budget uh, negotiated. Can you clue us into how she did that? Like, how would she get those people that were going to reach a bipartisan agreement? She spent separate time with them. She would talk to them about what their priorities were. She went to their districts. So it wasn't just a phone call or just having a staffer work with the senator. I mean, she would literally go to the district and meet with them. And she, when she would then go in and negotiate, she already knew what the priorities were of those moderate Republican senators. And so it was part of her tally of what she was going to demand out of a budget from the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have an indication that Governor Hobbs is following in those footsteps, at least with those sort of efforts to court these folks that she might need on a budget. You mentioned this point, but the dynamics of Republican politics are so different now than they were when Governor Napolitano was in office, right? So we see some similarities. You've got a Democratic governor, a Republican majority legislature, but we're post post-Trump, maybe not post-Trump, where post-Trump's impact on politics, the, you know, sort of the mega era. I wonder how you might compare the two and the shift and how it impacts a governor's ability to get work done. It's much different. We had a lot of opportunities to reach out to moderate Republicans, and I don't see it, Governor Hobbs' opportunities at all. Politics is a lot more tribal than it was before. They're uh, very active in targeting Republicans in primaries if they don't follow along. It's not as if they didn't do that in the past, but you had individuals who really had swing districts that were very comfortable 
voting with Democrats on certain issues, supporting a governor. And, you know, at the time, Governor Napolitano was very popular. And so those Republicans who did help her negotiate budgets with the Republican leadership in, in the House and Senate, they knew in their own districts that she was popular. And they knew certain priorities that she wanted out of her budget were important to their districts. Which somewhat brings us to the current day where we are not seeing those same kind of dynamics with Governor Hobbs. She's already issued a bunch of vetoes this year, far more than Napolitano did in her first year, which was 17. Um, I'm curious. Hey, wait a minute. She broke our record? (laughs) (laughs) Already, like twofold. (laughs) Yeah, and it looks like she's going to bust in some records (laughs) as as the year goes on. Um, But I'm wondering how the use of the veto affected Governor Napolitano's work in later years. Did the vetoes harden opposition? Did it lead to more horse trading or maybe even cooperation? Yeah, that's a good question because I, I think that's across the board. I mean, I, there were certain vetoes of certain bills that you knew, you know, were going to divide us even more between the governor's office and the leadership in the House and Senate. There were ones where they realized we're going to have to go negotiate with her because she's just not going to budge on this. And she was really good at vetoing a bill and the going out to the public and messaging why she vetoed it. She had a real good sense of breaking out of the back and forth between a governor's office and the House and Senate in a legislative session and realizing there's probably a lot of voters out there that don't know what's going on and are not really up to speed on why I vetoed that. And so she was constantly into, I'm going to veto that and I'm going to go out and talk to Arizonans about it. And so it was part of her whole strategy, which is, I know they're going to come back again with this bill, or I'm going to have to negotiate with them, or how do I best position where I am on this veto with where Arizonans are? And she was always thinking about that. She wasn't thinking about it in a silo. She was thinking about it in the broader sense of, I'm going to go communicate this to Arizonans, why I'm right on this position. How did she do that communication? Was she doing press conferences or town halls? She was throughout Arizona on a regular basis. She would communicate with press in particular districts. She would talk to constituencies in, in particular districts. She would literally go into the districts, say, I'm going to have an event in this district, and we're going to talk about why I vetoed that bill. So it was a combination of, I'll veto it, and I'm going to go out and win the messaging to the public as to why I vetoed a bill. I wonder if you have seen anything like that from Governor Hobbs and kind of your assessment of whether she is using a similar strategy yeah, I'm not close enough to know. I, I I would say this, that she's got so much going on in the first six months of her term. She's got a former opponent who's still claiming that she's governor. She's dealing with a lot of uh, factors that we never had to deal with. It just seems to me in retrospect that we had uh, more opportunities to kind of break through all that, the saturation of everything else that's going on. And in the country and in the state and politics and so forth. And we were able to convey our message with a better opportunity than Governor Hobbs has. I think she's just constantly dealing with a saturation point of so much else that's going on that has to deal with government and politics and how much even the most conscientious voter is going to take in on any given day. Looking beyond legislative bills and vetoes, Hobbs' executive nominations are also being vetted in a way that we really haven't seen Um, in past administrations. 
How did the Napolitano administration prepare its nominees for confirmation hearings? And were there hiccups? Yeah, I mean, we we spent a lot of time actually on preparing them. I'm, I actually, I'm a former chief of staff to a Democratic governor, but I support the fact that the legislature does uh, vetting and oversight of cabinet officials. I, th- I think the legislature over the years has institutionally marginalized their role and the fact that they are conducting concrete nomination hearings and vetting of cabinet officials, I think is good for the process overall. So I'm, I'm actually glad they do it. I think I think there's a lot that the legislature does that they do too quickly, that they're rushing to get out in 100 days, that they have certain priorities that they've laid out. And if they actually focused a little more on oversight and what the executive branch is doing, well, I actually think it's healthy. <laughs> Did you lose any nominees or they all confirmed? We had controversies because we had staff issues. We had the Piastawa Peak situation with a board a, a board that had picked appellations for sites in the, in Arizona. We had a couple nominees that never went up for a vote, but it was more of an internal vetting of us. I just literally can't recall um, that we actually sent a name to the Senate, and they voted the person down. I don't think we had one. So I don't think we have the direct parallel on that one. You mentioned the controversy over um, renaming Squaw Peak as Paestawa Peak. That happened pretty early on in the administration, as I recall. How did that affect the rest of Napolitano's tenure? Definitely affected in the sense of we took a closer look at the compositions of boards and commissions. (laughs) There is a great deal of government services conducted by boards and commissions. And we spent a considerable amount of recruiting people to serve on boards and commissions. And if there was an opportunity to replace someone because, you know, their tenure had ended, we had someone lined up, you know, that we had vetted. So we realized that was a teaching moment for us because we realized that there were a, a lot of individuals who had government roles that didn't report to us initially and had missions with their boards and commissions that impacted public policy. And is the governor who had the authority to appoint people. We were going to appoint people that we knew could do the job well, were interested in doing the job well, and that we had some confidence in. So yeah, that was a huge teaching moment for us. And that was that was definitely in the first year. You know, we it strikes me that we saw Governor Hobbs clean house at the Arizona-Mexico Commission. Um, she told all 30-plus members that they needed to basically reapply for their jobs. And this sort of makes me think of when you have an adversarial legislature, what options are there to work around the edges, to put your brand on your administration through these other appointees? I wonder how much you all did that in the first years of Governor Napolitano's administration, and if you see any similarities in how it's going now. Look, we have three branches of government that are constitutionally considered equal, but their functionality is not equal. I mean, the dashboard of a governor on any given day is larger than the Speaker of the House or the President of the Senate or anyone in the legislature. I mean, look, they're rushing to get out in 100 days. Governor Hobbs is there every day. And it's important to have an effective legislative agenda and work well with the legislature. Absolutely. Any governor on any given day will make between 10 to 40 decisions and will have delegated to his or her chief of staff to do another 20 to 50 decisions 
many of which, most of which have nothing to do with her legislative agenda. I think that was actually something very effective about Governor Politano. She said, look, she knew there were legislative items she wanted to get passed. She knew the budget was critically important to any governor because your priorities are in your budget. But on any given day, she realized there are s- such a panoply and breadth of other issues that I have to deal with that don't deal with just the legislature that impact public policy and the future of Arizona, that we were constantly working on that from her direction. This isn't just you know, the governor and the legislature. This is the governor and legislature for a short period of time during the year. And even during that period of time, we have all these other issues to deal with. There is so much, you know, law that's already already on the books and that that's parallel between Governor Hobbs and Governor Napolitano and executive orders. And Governor Napolitano's perspective on executive orders are, is I'm the governor, I'm in charge of the executive branch, I'm managing this enterprise, it's $40 billion. I'm going to give directions. And if I'm going to frame as, a, as executive orders, all the more power to it. So she was constantly thinking beyond, I'm just dealing with the legislature and we're two branches of government. Do you have any observations about how the Hobbs administration is handling that same um, sort of element of governing so far? I think, well, I would give them high grades. I mean, it, you know, Governor Hobbs was involved in a press conference recently with the Biden White House on with regards to Gila River Indian water uh, settlement rights and the impact that it has on water in general in Arizona. And so um, that's a prime example, right? The legislature's in right now, and she's standing up with members of the congressional delegation, uh, leadership, you know, former Mayor Landrow of New Orleans, who's in a high-level position with the Biden administration on infrastructure and leaders of tribal communities. That's the messaging that's effective. People read that. People understand that. And people realize that's just not some bill in the legislature or some fight with the, someone in the House or Senate. Well, Dennis, thanks for coming in and sharing a lot of your observations and uh, remembrances of those uh, very interesting years with, with Governor Napolitano. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That is it for this week, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions you want us to answer or topics you'd like us to cover? Reach out to us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com or give us a call at 602-444-0804. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. To make sure you never miss an episode, follow The Gaggle on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel, that's P-I-T-Z-L. And you can follow me on Twitter at S. Barchinger, that's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R. The editor and producer of today's episode is Amanda Luberto. You can follow her at Amanda Luberto, that's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. We'll see you next week.